It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do with the Thanksgiving weekend upon us. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley, who's from our Tennessee studios. We welcome you to the Thanksgiving weekend. Boy, we've got a lot of topics on the table. John, let's start with corner kick. Let's talk soccer. Let's talk World Cup. I've been watching. I think the world's been watching. You've been watching? Absolutely. I mean, it's just dominating the headlines this week. I mean, let's let's go. Let's talk World Cup. Team USA, Wales. I thought it would be a struggle. A 1-1 tie turns out to feel more like a loss than a win. Yeah, they got a point out of it. I don't know that it was a great accomplishment because I thought they had the potential to win. John, we asked the question last week on our podcast, who's going to score goals to help Christian Pulisic? Well, they only got one goal. Pulisic got hammered throughout the course of the whole game, just physically checked, marked, knocked down. Did make a tremendous pass to get to one goal, but the game changed at halftime. And I think the bottom line, John, the end result is you saw veteran team Wales get very physical, change their approach to the game, press forward, pressure the goalkeeper, pressure the fullbacks, and wound up getting a penalty in the box that led to Gareth Bale's rocket shot, laser uh, penalty shot goal that tied the game 1-1. They got a a point. U.S. got a point. U.S. could have gotten three. But I think it now really brings to the forefront, John, and I'll ask your reaction to this, very young roster. Were they going to get the goal scoring? The coach made three substitutions in the second half, but he did not bring Gio Reyna the young rookie who's got firepower and a big kick. He was not part of the group that came in. So to me, I kind of came away saying, geez, that feels like a loss, even though they got a point. But it makes the run uphill, to me, a lot tougher. You you sat there, you watched it, your response. Yeah, it just seemed like a lot of lost opportunities. It was a young team, the Americans, that maybe were playing a bit too aggressive, got a few yellow cards, kind of put them on their heels. Um, this is where veteran presence really could be a great asset for the team. But now looking forward, I mean, how are they shaping up uh, for the next couple of games, Lee? Well, they play England on Friday, and this will not be easy. You still got Pulisic and a lot of young guys around him. Matt Turner was spectacular in goal, made a couple of really clutch saves. He's going to face a lot of shots on Friday in the game against the three Lions. England's lineup is led by Harry Kane, superstar, English Premier League. Now, he's got an ankle issue. They did an MRI exam. It came back clean on Wednesday, but he might not be 100%. However, the Brits will bring forward guys like uh, Marcus Rashford. They'll bring forward guys like Raheem Sterling. They got a, a forward who scored two goals in their early victory against Iran, a guy by the name of Baku Saka who plays in Arsenal with the American goaltender, Matt Turner. But the the point I'm trying to make, you've got established guys from the English Premier League are going to be going against Team USA, and Team USA has its one established star in Kirsten Pulisic. I think this is going to be an enormous challenge against England. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a David versus Goliath matchup. I mean, I think on paper, we, we kind of see this one as a loss. That's what makes this group play so dynamic. I mean... We may end up in some kind of a tiebreaker situation when this thing's all over. 
On we go. The other games, boy, I'll tell you, the first round of the groups have been really interesting. Please explain to me how Argentina, Lionel Messi, loses to Saudi Arabia. What a shocker uh, in the second day of the tournament. Uh, Messi scored the first goal. They had two other goals. We thought it would have been a 3 nothing lead that were wiped out, voided by the video replay VAR. And then the Saudis came back and scored two goals in the final 15 minutes and won. Wow, what a stunner. You think they're upset in Buenos Aires? I guess so. Uh, and then you add to that Mexico-Poland. Mexico is really outclassed. They did not have a lot of firepower. Poland didn't play very well, and I, I, I don't understand that. And then their superstar, Robert Lewandowski, has got 41 international goals, has a penalty shot, and it's just a weak-ass kick to the goaltender. And the Mexican veteran goaltender, the 38-year-old Memo Ochoa, comes up with a, a diving save on what was really a weak kick. You compared Lewandowski's penalty kick to Gareth Bale's rocket shot laser, said, what's Lewandowski doing? And result, Mexico winds up in a tie with Poland, so they got a point out of that. And then what happened on Wednesday? Holy cow. Germany loses to Japan. Germany gets outplayed by Japan. Germany gets one goal early, and Japan dominates from that point on. That was an absolute stunner, and the Japanese scored two goals in the final 15 minutes. They win that one. So I'll tell you, that the first group of games in the group activity, strange. And I got some people, their backs are a little bit to the wall going to the second round of games. Yeah, is this what makes the tournament great? You know, when you see these, you know, upstart nations that really don't have a World Cup presence suddenly knocking off the big boys. And if the Saudis can do it, if, um, you know, if Japan can do it, then, hey, why not Team USA? Well, Team USA England on Friday, it's going to be worth watching, but I don't think it's going to be easy. Okay, let's bring it back home. Let's talk college football. Yeah, big weekend. This uh, the, We're coming up to, what, the, this is the biggest Big Ten matchup of the year. Biggest Big Ten matchup in a long time. Mm-hmm. Michigan, Ohio State, college football this weekend. Michigan has been dominated by the Buckeyes. Ohio State is ranked two. Michigan is ranked three. The winner puts themselves in prime position for the college football playoff. The loser could get knocked out of the top grouping of the top four. This is going to be interesting to see how far down the loser goes. you got Ohio State and uh, the firestorm quarterback, C.J. Stroud, who throws the football down the field. Uh, they've been banged up at running back, but yet their first, second guys are out. The third guy had a 146-yard game last week. Now it looks as if they're going to get their backs back. Michigan's had a really good season, but B.J. Corum, their top running back, is ailing. I don't know how much he's going to be able to play this weekend. They'll put a lot more pressure on their starting quarterback, J.J. McCarthy. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's 1-8 and eight against the Buckeyes. In fact, Michigan is just 2-15 and 15 against Ohio State going back to the early 2000s. And, John, Michigan has not won at Ohio Stadium since 2000. Mm. I just think the Buckeyes just have way too much. So the question is, Ohio State wins. Georgia's going to win. What happens to Michigan? How far do they go down? You still got TCU unbeaten at four, and you got USC got bumped down down a slot right now, and that's hard to explain. LSU is vaulted into five. USC is a number six. So huge, huge Michigan-Ohio State game. And I worked there. I lived there. I covered that there. Tell you, the shadow of Beauchamp Beckler and Woody Hayes still graces 
the stadiums, the hallways, the athletic facilities. Oh, it's going to be fun. And this game, Scarlet Gray, Mason Blue, this is a big time game. Your thought? Yeah, love me some rivalry weekends. You know, we had some of them last weekend, some of them coming up. I can't wait. I mean, this is the college football is really, you know, coming down to the stretch here. It's exciting. Okay, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about what happened in the Rose Bowl this past Saturday. USC, UCLA, final score, Trojans 48, Bruins 45. I knew it would be a shootout. Very unorthodox finish to the game. I knew the Trojans were going to go up and down the field with Caleb Williams at quarterback, John, and they are going to put a lot of points on the board, and they did. Williams amounted for 502 all-purpose yards. What a night he had. The wide receiver, the transfer from Pitt, was phenomenal. Caught 12 passes. 178 yards along the way, and every time they needed a big play, they went down the field, and Jordan Addison caught the ball. What was unorthodox about it was USC's defense has really been poor all year. They came up with four takeaways, three picks, and a fumble recovery. UCLA's quarterback Dorian Robinson played a heck of a game, but he was also responsible for throwing balls into spots. He probably was forcing it, and that's why they came up with with the three interceptions. Big win, UC, USC. That puts them in the championship game against Oregon. But I'll tell you what's tough about the equation right now, John. USC plays Notre Dame this weekend, and I think the Trojans should win. But then they got to play Oregon the following weekend in the championship game before they get consideration uh, for the college football playoffs. So they still got they got tough games in front of them where some of the other guys don't. Now, I will say this about LSU. they got to go play Georgia. And I know in the Deep South, everybody says, oh, LSU is deserved this. No, they're not. They're going to probably get punched in the mouth by Georgia's defense. So suddenly, if LSU has three losses and USC loses a game before they get to the championship finals, who's going to fall out of the playoff race and who climbs in? But Southern Cal, UCLA, it was great. Yeah, love having relevant games here in Southern California. You know, TCU just barely hung on to win that game. So, uh, yeah, great college football season. This is really coming down to the, you know, the crunch time here, and I'm excited. You know, it's fascinating. Last week, number two almost lost, needed field goals to win. Number three almost lost. Michigan had to get four field goals to win their game. Yeah. And number five, TCU won with four seconds to go on a long-distance field goal when they were trailing. How about that? Two, three, and four almost got taken out of the equation. I thought, man, the guys that vote on the college football poll must be having a heart attack. Speaking of college football, Aztecs, final home game, Air Force Academy. Uh, They're finishing strong. Uh, They're seven and four. Face the number one team in the nation. Air Force is averaging 336 yards per game. But, John, there's just a cloud over Aztec football that I just don't think has left. And I think it's been a really big issue. And I, I think the issue is how could you make such a catastrophic mistake on quarterbacking by having Jalen Maiden fifth string, move him to defense, and only go back to him after the cat- to catastrophe of what you had with all your other quarterbacks in the offensive line? This team, John, should finish 10-2, and two, and it says it's going to wind up 8-4 and four and be in a real second-tier bowl game. So it, as, as good as they've kind of come together under Brady Hoke, there's a pall there that's just not going to go away. I guess the positive is Maiden has already announced he's going to come back and play one extra year. They've found two more running backs. They're going to bring most of their wide receivers back. The young offensive line that went through a very painful period Learning is all going to come back intact. Now, they're going to have to rebuild virtually the whole defense. But to me, it's just it's like a wasted football season. 
Yeah, I kind of feel the same. It's a surprising that Jalen Maiden wasn't at least slotted as the number two quarterback on the depth chart. I mean, I get why Burmeister was number one. That makes sense. But putting all those rookies like ahead of him, you know, pure freshmen's ahead of Maiden didn't make any sense. But, you know, at least we've got him for next season. Let's hope the Aztecs finish strong. Tell you what, I'll give you an addendum to this conversation about San Diego State. They won't say it, but I just get the sense that the fired offensive coordinator uh, is responsible for the demise of the quarterback position. I think he buried Will Haskell, uh, the blue chip recruit who's transferred. And I think he just did give no time at all to Jalen Maiden. And the fact that Maiden had sat a year and a half after transferring from Mississippi State. So I think Jeff Heklinski bears the blame for why this has turned out to be such a disappointing season. His evaluation, his treatment, his decisions were the quarterbacks there. But that also falls at the front door of Brady Hoke. Okay, let's go from college football. State of collapse. It's the only words I can use to describe the Rams and the Chargers. This has turned into a horrific situation. You know, on paper, John, the Chargers and Rams look like elite teams. Well, on paper now, they got more good names on the injured reserve list on paper than they actually have on the field. This is just turning into a disaster. Rams have lost four in a row. They're three and seven this season. Matthew Stafford has now had two concussions in a three-week window. He's out of the mix. They're blowing people off the roster. Defense can't play 60 minutes a game. Their offense has been so erratic. They lost Cooper Cup for six weeks, ankle surgery. Just, just a deplorable state of affairs. And for the Chargers, they're kind of getting healthy, but they're five and five. And John, two weeks ago, you and I talked about the teeth of the schedule. And the Bolts were moving into the teeth of the schedule. They had San Francisco. They had Kansas City. They played really hard, but they lost. Lost because they didn't have enough firepower. And they lost because they kept losing more defensive players. So the Bolts are now five and five. And they got to go to Arizona. And Arizona's fighting for its life like a drowning man. And Kyler Murray, the quarterback, is going to play. And Cliff Kingsbury could be in big jeopardy as the head coach in Arizona. So the Chargers play in Arizona. Then they get Miami. Then they have to go play the Raiders. They, I mean, their schedule is still got a lot of big boys on it, which are gonna, is really going to make this thing complicated. Justin Herbert, for all the things he's trying to do, his productivity has started to suffer because he doesn't have the guys around him. So, well, you know, Labor Day weekend, you and I talked about Rams, Chargers, and potential. Look where we are as we talk here at the end of November. Yeah, I mean, it's been a complete reversal for both teams. But I'll tell you what, as a as a former Charger fan, a former season ticket-holding Charger fan, I'll tell you what, I it's nice not to feel all that frustration and drama and grief and all that emotions weekend and weekend out. Um, and uh, so now I can kind of follow the team at arm's length, and it feels a lot better. Hey, some really interesting games this Thanksgiving weekend, uh, you know, going towards Sunday. Green Bay at Philadelphia. Holy cow, what's happened to the Packers? They're sitting there at four and seven, and Aaron Rodgers' productivity has gone down. They're not running the football very well, and I thought that would be one of the big-time strains. They got the young wide receivers. As some Sundays are better than other Sundays. This Packers team is four and seven. That's a Philadelphia team that comes in there at nine and one with Jalen Hurts, and, man, they're hitting on all cylinders. Rams, they got to go to Kansas City. In the wake of a four-game losing streak, they got to go to Arrowhead Stadium and meet Mahomes. 
Patrick Mahomes quarterback rating, John, as of tonight is 107. Think about that. Uh, The guy's got 28 touchdowns. He's thrown only seven interceptions on the season. Kansas City scored 37 touchdowns this season, John, uh, in 11 games. I mean, phenomenal accomplishment. And the Rams got a limp in there. Interesting game. Cincinnati's playing much better after a lousy start, getting all their guys back healthy. And they're going to get the wide receiver, Jamar Chase, back. Since he goes to Tennessee to play the Titans, you talk about tough guy football. You go play those guys in Nashville the way they play under Mike Vrabel. I mean, Tennessee right now leads the AFC South, and they're just punishing everybody they play. It's going to be a hard day, I think, for Joe Burrow. That that could be your upset special of the week. Tampa Bay goes to Cleveland. The Browns are underachieving. They've had all kinds of problems. It's been a crummy year. They're going to get Deshaun Watson back a week from now. But Jacoby Brissett will start one more game. And Tom Brady has done okay. Uh, You know, they've been scuffling to try to stay in first place. They are a 500 football team right now. But Tampa Bay's got to play that pass rush. And that's Brady is going to be under siege because Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney are having good games. Uh, And then I said the Chargers at Arizona, you got Justin Herbert. Kyler Murray is going to play. He's been nicked up. Neither team statistically is doing all that well. And like I said, Kingsbury's in trouble. So what's your take on the unique games that we got this Thanksgiving weekend? Yeah, I'm almost more following some of the players than the games. I mean, it's great to see what Colt McCoy did in Arizona, you know, filling in for for Kyler Murray. But how about that Heineke kid over in Washington? I mean, just really has had a, a windy road to get to the NFL. He's starting now, and they've been winning some games. Now, Washington's interesting because he started last year and he kind of managed games for a while and then it all caught up to him and they wound up benching him. And of course, this year was Carson Wentz and he got hurt and Wentz is about to come off IR. Ron Rivers says Taylor Henneke is staying in the starting lineup. Now, I wonder, the more the more you compile defensive tapes on guys, the more you can see things change and maybe they'll slow him down. But right now, this kid, he played at Old Dominion, one double A football. Mm-hmm. This guy is managing games and has been productive. So it'll be interesting going forward. All right, let's go from football. Let's go to Major League Baseball. We're waiting for the first big domino to fall. Who's going to sign the first mega contract? And there are rumors, John, everywhere of all kinds of things. Let's first of all start with the Dodgers and the Padres and the Angels. The Dodgers, John, and I, I'm not good at math. I struggle sometimes balancing my checkbook like you. The Dodgers have cleared $101 million from their payroll by the guys they did not tender, the guys that they've yet to re-sign, and guys who are on the street as free agents are probably going to leave. They've cleared $101 million. So suddenly they got, what's that term, dry powder to mm-hmm. use in the fight? The Dodgers have got money to use to go get somebody, and they made the decision, Cody Bellinger, we're not going to pay you $18 million to hit 203. Now, that's what he's hit the last three years since he won the MVP and since he had the shoulder surgery. So he's gone. I'm fascinated to see whether the Dodgers are a player for Aaron Judge or the Dodgers make a move to get Carlos Correa, because it's obvious to me that Bellinger's not coming back. It does not appear that Trey Turner is coming back either. So that's interesting. Now, from the Dodgers, we'll go to the Padres. Uh, the Padres committed $10 million apiece now by the way they structured these contracts to keep Nick Martinez and Robert Suarez. I don't know how much more they've got. They might have 8 to $10 million more to maybe make a deal to get one more contract. 
One of the names being floated right now is longtime White Sox first baseman designated hitter, Jose Abreu. But he's 38 years of age. So are you going to give him the rest of your budget uh, with the hope he can continue to hit here as maybe he did at Comiskey Park? Or do you do something different? Do you go in a marketplace? Luke Voigt has just become available. You could get him at a bargain basement price. He was not tendered by Washington. Would you bring him back? Would you go get Will Myers to be your first baseman at a reduced price? They, they still got to deal with first base. They still got to deal with what they're going to do in left field. And they still have to find a way to get a pitcher. They did meet with Kodai Senga, the Japanese star. But, John, that price tag is 20 to $25 million per year. I don't know how they're going to do that if they want to stay under the luxury tax. Because if they go over the luxury tax for a third straight year, the penalties are really severe in terms of the tax you pay and in terms of giving up draft picks and you lose some international slot signing bonus pool money. So it's very complicated. And the third team, the Angels. Now, they've had a really productive two weeks. It's not sexy what they're doing, John, but they just traded for Hunter Renfro, who's a 245 hitter with 157 home runs. He can play there, and he'll be productive there. He's a multi-position guy there. And, of course, they traded for Gio Ursula, who's got some power, 275 hitter, ex-Yankee and twin. And they started this whole thing by signing Tyler Anderson. So they, the Angels have put a bunch of pieces in place, A, to be more competitive, but I also think to send a message to Shohei Atani, we're kind of players here. We think if we can keep everybody healthy, we might be better, and we're going to be better with the three guys that we just added. So I just I dumped a lot on your table here. Start with the Dodgers, walk through the Padres, and finish up with the Angels. Well, yeah, I mean, the Dodgers clearly are moving payroll off the table so that they can have space to sign Aaron Judge or maybe multiple big-time free agents. They have a bottomless pit of resources. So, yeah, I expect them to be right in the mix. I know the Giants, by the way, are hoping to get an iron judge. But as far as the Padres go, I've heard some interesting speculation. You know, you and I, we talked about, the, you know, if you get rid, if the Dodgers got rid of Bellinger, what, could another team resurrect him? Now, imagine if Bellinger was a productive player. He could play first. He could play center. He could move around. Um, he could be a great asset to the team if they can kind of solve the problem. But, you know, the old guy, Abreu, I think he's still – you use him as a DH. I think he'd be a great a candidate. And then plus, you got Tatis coming back, a lot of movable parts. For me, if I'm GM AJ Preller, my focus is on Senga. I want to sign an, another pitcher because you need more um, in your rotation. As far as the Angels go, love seeing Renfro back in SoCal. He's a great guy. Um, I like seeing them really trying hard to kind of put this thing together rather than letting it crumble in, in their hands. So um, we need to keep Otani in SoCal. Um, Otani is some say the face of the game. And so I like seeing the Angels continue to rebuild that franchise. Well, you're kind of reaching. I don't want you to injure your shoulder, separate your shoulder. Reaching for Bellinger means you got to go through Scott Boros. You think Boros is going to bring his client in here for $10 million? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. uh, he's had, supposedly, according to the agent, he's been contacted by 12 teams already. Now, there is a rumbling out there that Boros might say, Let's do one-year contract. Let's put it on Bellinger. Yeah. But what is the price tag for one year? Can Bellinger straighten himself out in one year? But what price tag do you have to pay for this trial season for one year? If it's still 15 to 18 million, and the guys hit 203 the last three years, does San Diego want to pay that? You're the first guy that I've known on the street corner that said, "Hey, how about Cody Bellinger?" Because everybody yeah. else. 
is talking about other names. And I agree with you about Renfro. I think Renfro is a pro's pro. Uh, You know, if he could hit 250 and 20 home runs, that's pretty good accomplishment. So I like what the Angels did. Okay, let's go from that. Final topic on the table. We'll deal with Aztec basketball. Uh, They look like they are big-time players. They look like maybe a 30-win basketball team. Uh, What they did to Ohio State, I mean, they – beat up the Buckeyes with their defense in the first round of the Maui Classic. That was really impressive. Now, game two, very tough game. That's Arizona. That's nationally ranked top five Arizona. That's Arizona loaded with all these international players. And, uh, you know, the Aztecs fell in a real deep hole to Arizona early and then climbed out of a 16-point deficit with their defense. But it is a 40-minute game, and they ran out of gas. They did not get outside shooting. And eventually, the bigs got beaten down by their bigs along the way. But that was a pretty impressive statement game for them to come from 16 down and actually get the lead right at the half, rather than have 16 become a 30-point deficit and and get their doors blown off. This is a really good San Diego State basketball team. And once they get through the Maui Classic and the big boys are playing from the Mountain West Conference, maybe I just forfeit all the games. I don't need to play those guys because they're going to beat our brains out. I was so impressed with San Diego State. Yeah, I'm equally impressed with the team. I I think that Arizona is just at a different level. And they have how many seven-footers that are uh, – What's the right word? Athletic, agile. I mean, they move like, you know, wingmen, but there are these big muscle guys down underneath. And then in the game last night, it just seemed like when the the Aztecs defense was right in the face of their three-point shooters, and those guys just didn't miss. And the Aztecs, you know, a big game, maybe some nerves struggled a bit. I agree with you, Lee. I think the Aztecs are going to have a fantastic season. They're working through a couple of little kinks in the system, but watch out in March. Yeah. And we got a lot of time to talk about, are they Sweet 16? Are they Elite 8? My God, might they be a Final Four basketball team? That's going to be fun to watch. John, unique Thanksgiving podcast. Uh, we'll look forward to being with our followers next Thursday. We'll get back into our regular rotation with all the things we have. Hope you enjoyed the topics on the table. John, have yourself a great Thanksgiving weekend, and we'll talk to you next week when you come back from the studios in Tennessee. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, Lee. Thanks, John. And thanks for being with us. We invite you to tweet, text, email, message all your friends. Tell them what we're doing on my website. It's all written, leehacksawhamilton.com, and tell them that you can view us on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, and all the audio platforms with our Hacksaws Headlines podcast. Have yourself a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks again for being with us. Join us again for Hacksaws Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to leehacksawhamilton.com.